This morning's reading is from Matthew 13, verses 31 through 35. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour, till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Thank you very much for reading the word of God to us this morning. I just want to remind us that Isaiah 40 tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. And it is the living and inspired Word of God to us this morning. Uh, and so let me pray uh, before we get into Matthew 13. Lord God, we thank You that You have been with us. You are present. You are here. And God, we thank You that uh, long ago You inspired by Your Spirit human authors to write down Your revelation, Your Word unto us. And and you spoke and you still speak through it to us today by your spirit. And so we ask that you would remove me, the one who preaches, so that Jesus, you might be known and experienced in spirit. You would speak to our spirits. However we come this morning, wherever we are, if we're feeling high or low or bored or discouraged or sad or happy, would you meet us with yourself? We need to hear from you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, again, I'm glad you're with us. My name's Daniel, one of the pastors, and uh, we have been in a series over the last few uh, weeks and month, uh, the month of, or so, four weeks or so, uh, in the parables, stories that Jesus told. Frederick Beatner said that the parables are small stories with a large point. There are small stories like Matthew 13 that we just read. Actually, two stories that Jesus tells with extremely large points. Last week, I, I said, if you were here, that one of the things Timothy and I prayed would be true of Christ Central Church when we started is that we would be a church that truly enjoys life. That we would enjoy life. That we would have fun together. That we would be a church that has fun. Now, another thing that we pray and continue to pray is that we would be a church that is honest, that is real, that is authentic, if you want to use that word as a community, that we have prayed and continue to pray that our church would be a safe place for people to share frustrations and hurt and pain, struggle, discouragement, lament, not as an end unto themselves, but as a way to be honest and in our honesty turn to Jesus and find the hope that He provides. But sometimes, it's hard to have hope, isn't it? It's hard to have hope. We read this past week of the attack at Ohio State University. Or the Brazilian soccer team that was in a plane crash and 75 pronounced dead. Or the shooting and the death of the NFL player Joe McKnight. Or in our own backyard, the Myrtle, the murder in McDougal Terrace just a few weeks ago. We can read the newspaper day after day after day and be discouraged and wonder, is there any hope? 
But then we turn to our own lives and the realities that are true of our own lives. Things like addiction, marital strife, divorce, abuse, betrayal, loneliness, mental illness, cancer, sickness, poverty, and death. Just to name a few. So we can look at the world around and we can look at our own world and we can ask, is anything changing? Is there any hope that things will be different? For 2,000 years, Jesus has taught the church to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we look at the pain and the darkness of our world and we're forced to ask, is the kingdom coming to earth? Do we have hope that the kingdom of God will push back and defeat the darkness? The followers of Jesus, Christians who lived in Rome, had experienced much pain, persecution, oppression, under the thumb of Roman rule. And they were humans just like us, meaning they had personal struggles as real as ours. And they followed Jesus, trusting that He was King, and that He was about to restore the kingdom of God on earth. But the kingdom came in a very different way than they expected the kingdom of God was ushered in when Jesus came to earth the first time. Right When Jesus began His earthly ministry, He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Right? He's king and the rule and the reign of God was going to be brought to bear on earth as it is in heaven. But Jesus did not bring the complete kingdom. Right? He didn't change the whole world with one big thing. He actually said in Revelation 21 that one day someday He would restore the whole world. That God's kingdom would come to earth and there would no longer be sin or brokenness or pain, but the full restoration would come in Jesus' second coming. So the followers of Jesus in first century and the followers of Jesus today, those of us who are here to follow Jesus, live in between these times of Jesus' first and second coming. Now the kingdom of God is at hand, but the fullness awaits. So here we are living in between the times with darkness and light. Brokenness and healing, death and life, despair and hope. First century Christians were confused, and Christians today can still be confused about the kingdom of God. So Jesus tells parables to teach about the kingdom. Matthew 13 references that as the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God. And the first thing I want to point out this morning is that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of unseen power. Unseen power. Look at verse 31. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. So here the disciples are. They're following King Jesus. We see later in the Gospels that they're arguing over who's going to sit on the left and the right of Jesus and his kingdom. Right? They are ready for their king to kick tail, take names. Right? They are ready for Jesus to show Rome and Caesar who really is king. They're expecting the kingdom to be like a big boulder that will plow over Rome and rule the world. Yet Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. Which was the smallest of all garden seeds. Not the smallest seed ever, but the, the smallest of all garden seeds. And, and so the Jews would have known and understood Jesus' point. That the kingdom of heaven has a very small beginning. I mean, here was Jesus, a carpenter, who had rounded up mostly Galilean, semi-literate fishermen as his disciples. 
There may have been around 70 to 120 who were following Jesus and the 12 disciples. It's a small beginning. Who would have imagined that in a hundred, a few hundred years, there would be more Christians in Rome than any other religion? And no one would have imagined that with this small beginning, the gospel of Jesus would spread to the whole world with billions following him as king. The kingdom of God is like a seed. It's not like a big boulder or a stick of dynamite. And human kingdoms operate like boulders or dynamite. Coming in overt force. Large numbers to blow up what is settled. To roll over any opposition. Think about earthly nations, kingdoms, and how they go to war. They deploy thousands, dropping bombs, large-scale assault to break up and to defeat the enemy. The seed comes in quietly. Unexpectedly. Unseen. But there is power to a seed that a boulder or a stick of dynamite will never possess. The seed does more than break up the land. It transforms the soil so that life springs forth. The seed transforms the ground completely. The gospel of Jesus Christ, this gospel of the kingdom, transforms the very soil of the human heart. Not just a change in our circumstances. And just as Jesus was planted in the ground upon his death and rose three days later unto life, the gospel when planted in the human heart will spring forth new life in us and in the world. There's another thing about seed and its power. Is that often this transformation and this power is happening under the surface. It's not always seen. Not easily measurable. Right? The kingdoms of the earth advance through force. But the kingdom of God triumphs by love. And love is not always measurable or even visible to the human eye. Jesus, the King of Heaven, came to earth and He triumphed by being crucified. No one, not even His closest 12 friends, looked at Jesus hanging on the cross and thought, see, we've won the battle. Check, battle won. But it was the greatest triumph ever known. Amen. A triumph and defeat of darkness by sacrificial love. So God's kingdom is not always clear to the human eye. It's not always measurable in ways that we might expect. So let me apply this to our church, Christ Central. God started our church about three years ago. And he has been long in the works planning this church before Timothy and I Two good friends began to pray and dream about this church. But we began to pray and dream together about a church in the heart of this city. Thirty people began to meet and pray and discuss the church in Durham. We started and God has been really gracious to us. We have grown more than we would have expected. Who would have imagined three years in we would be a church of 325 to 350 of a Sunday morning? Who we, we did not. Who would have thought we would have people all over the world give money to our church, and many of you give faithfully, financially to this church. But numbers and money aren't the truest measure of the power of God's kingdom through us. These are encouraging, and yes, we pray God give us more, but the Lord forbid that we ever start using numbers and money as the primary metric for our church. Numbers and money give us the ability to do the work of the kingdom. They give us opportunities for kingdom work. 
They're not the metric. They're not the sole metric. Here's kingdom work. Seeing people who have not believed and don't believe and don't follow Jesus come to a place of surrendering their whole life to follow Him. Seeing people rally around and love others who are going through the difficulty of not being able to get pregnant. Seeing people love each other through hardship of divorce and death and homelessness. But seeing people love each other by making a warm meal and providing for another. It's seeing one another give sacrificially of time and money when no one else sees it. It's seeing people volunteer with ministries like World Relief to love refugees or step up to help with joblessness or reality ministries to engage with youth with and without disabilities. It's students who are loving and serving in ministries on their campus like CREW and RUF and AIA. I've seen people who are different from one another ethnically, socioeconomically, politically, and ideologically engage in real conversations about hurt and pain and misunderstanding and seek relational healing. It's seeing people hang out on a Friday night in a city that we love or a Sunday afternoon at a food truck or rodeo just because they enjoy one another. These things are not always seen. They're not always flashy, and they're not big, and they're, they're not dynamic always. They're small, yet they're powerful. It's the kingdom of God, like a seed planted in a field. Here's the second thing. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of plotting growth. Plotting growth. One of the most difficult things about God's kingdom is that we are in between the first and second coming. This already and not yet of the kingdom, which means we're in this period of waiting. And waiting is hard. I can remember as a first grader getting a solo cup at school and putting some soil in it, planting a seed into the soil, and we were to take care of the seed. Water it, make sure it got sunlight. I remember checking that solo cup the first night. Nothing. Second night, nothing. Third night, nothing. For a long time, I just had to be faithful to water the seed. Let it get sunlight. I had to wait, which was hard. But then growth exploded and life began to sprout up through the surface. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a seed that a man took and sowed in his field. Many of us, and myself included, are tempted to want to see immediate results when it comes to God's kingdom and His work. To plod along, to be faithful, to water the seed of the gospel, to make sure that it's getting enough sunlight to cultivate this gospel within our own heart and within the world and not see the type of change that we want is difficult. Faithful plotting for my generation, I'm 38. Faithful, faithful plotting for my generation and generations below me are extremely difficult. Because our generations like to dream about changing the world. And we think the world should take notice of who we are. We long for global change and we think we just might be one of the few that will actually make it happen. And I hope some of us are. But we can be enamored with rock star celebrity pastors and Christian leaders. And we can ooh and ah over large multi-site churches or large Christian conferences with thousands of people. And the idolatry of my and the younger generation's heart is this idolatry of instant impact with self as the hero of the story. What I'm saying is this. For older generations, for those of you older than myself, the idolatry was often the American dream. 
the house, the picket fence, the nice family. But the idolatry for many in younger generations is the self making a global impact to save the world. Now listen, there is nothing wrong with a nice family or maintaining your home. And there is nothing wrong with global impact. Both are actually biblical calls. Scripture calls us to both. But an idol is any good thing that becomes more ultimate than God himself. And so let me ask you to be honest. What is harder for you? To think about being someone who serves in a nonprofit or some cool startup for profit. And you'll, fors you'll forsake money. You'll forsake house. Right? But you're going to save the world. And that means everything. Or is it harder to be an employee at Oracle or Duke Hospital or in the service industry or to be a student and you faithfully love your friends and family, you're consistent on time with your rent or your mortgage, you faithfully tithe to the church, serve on a certain team or in a city group, maybe you sit in some local organizational board and you're supporting Christian ministries and giving financially above and beyond your tithe. What's more difficult for you? I would venture to say for many of us, that latter one feels like death. So let me tell my heart, let me tell you that what's needed in our world are Christians who are faithful and plotting and following Jesus for the whole of life and every area of life. That's how the kingdom comes to earth as it is in heaven. But listen to what Kevin DeYoung writes in his wonderful article, great article that he titled Glory Plotting. He says, in the grand scheme of things, most of us are going to be more of an ampliatus in Romans 16.8 or a fleegan, Romans 16.14, which you probably never even heard their names. Being more of an ampliatus or a fleegan than an apostle Paul. Then he writes, and maybe that's why so many Christians are getting tired of the church. We haven't learned how to be part of the crowd. We haven't learned to be ordinary. Our jobs are often mundane. Our devotional times often seem like a waste. Church services are often forgettable. That's life. He writes, we drive to the same places, go through the same routines with the kids, buy the same groceries at the store, share a bed with the same person every night. Church is often the same too. Same doctrines, same basic order of worship, same preachers, same people, but in all the smallness and sameness, God works. Like the smallest seed in the garden growing to unbelievable as we plot faithfully, growth will happen. The kingdom of God will grow, and it will grow and grow, and it will become larger than all the garden plants. It will become a tree so that the birds of the air can come and make nests in the branches, which is an image and an allusion to the Old Testament where Israel was imaged as a tree, where the Gentiles, the birds, could come and find shelter. Where the Gentiles could receive grace and hope and healing in the midst of a broken and painful world. This is our role, church. To faithfully plod. To become a tree in Durham. A place of shelter. Of protection for the suffering. A place of hope for the hopeless. A place of refuge for the weary. A place of Christ's presence for those who don't believe or who are doubting. The Roman Empire was not worried about Jesus and his kingdom. Started with a small band of followers, but the church has been and still is healing the world. Do you know that historically and globally, it's been Christians often who build hospitals, 
and build schools and libraries and plant churches and start nonprofits to serve the marginalized and the suffering. Christians are often the ones who are innovative and creative and faithful to think about ways to bring those from the outside inside, to provide shelter and comfort and peace. But it comes from being faithful and present over a long period of time, often in the same place. As Eugene Peterson's book title suggests, it comes from a long obedience in the same direction. Here's the last thing I want to point out about the kingdom of God. Is that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of complete renewal. Look at the second story or parable that Jesus tells. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like, a le is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. I mean, that, that would have been a very shocking analogy for those listening. Here, you know what the kingdom's like? It is like a woman making bread. I mean, certainly the people listening would be thinking, the kingdom has to be more glorious than a woman making bread. But Jesus takes a common illustration to drive home truth about the kingdom. Leaven. Think about it. When leaven gets inside of bread, it affects every aspect of the bread. Not just one part of the bread, but the whole loaf is transformed. The kingdom of God works from the inside out, affecting every aspect of our being in the world. The gospel transforms you from within like leaven to bread, changing your attitude, your outlook, your worldview, your purposes, your goals, your motivations. The king of the kingdom may leave you exactly where you are in terms of your location or in terms of your vocation. You may continue to be a student or a doctor or work in the service industry or be a stay-at-home parent, but as you are transformed from within, everything that you are about looks different. And it's changed because the gospel takes root in you. This transformation is not just about you, though. Jesus is saying the whole world will be. Every square inch will be transformed. The darkness, the brokenness, the pain that is so pervasive from top to bottom, God will transform it. And he will use us, his church, to do so. Henry, our son, loves to sing, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No. No. Church, we are to be a light unto the whole world. A city on a hill. So that the gospel of Jesus and the light of Christ can shine and dispel the darkness. Hide your gifts. Hide your talents. Your passions. Your heart under a bushel. No. Let the light of Christ shine. So here. Here's a question. How can we press on to be the light? To be God's kingdom. Transforming this world of darkness. Here's the first thing. Trust that resurrection power lives in you. Trust that the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you. Let me point you back to the parable of the leaven. How does yeast or leaven light your dough? I'm not a baker, so I had to look this up. It, by fill, filling the dough with thousands of tiny pockets of carbon dioxide. And those pockets of gas kind of rise and grow when heat is brought upon the loaf, right? When it comes upon the bread. Scripture talks about a breath, a warm breath that brings things out of nothing into existence. 
Our Father in the beginning breathed a word and brought the world ex nihilo out of nothing. Jesus, the Word made flesh, dwelt among us, died and rose to life. Jesus breathes out His Spirit upon His disciples and rises up a small group of followers. And the same Spirit is breathed out on the church at Pentecost. And the church has been and is continuing to announce the good news of the kingdom and word and deed to the whole world to push back the darkness by the breath of God, by the Spirit of God. Both of these parables are pointing to the power of resurrection, a seed planted, life coming. Leaven that causes the whole loaf to rise. So the question for us this morning is, is this seed or leaven of the kingdom in you? Is it in you? It is not something that you can produce from looking inside enough, from meditating, from some type of self-discovery. The seed of the gospel comes from the outside and is planted on the inside. God must plant by His breath, by His Spirit, the gospel in you. If you're not sure that that's true, ask the Lord to plant Himself, the gospel, deep in you this morning. If it is in you, would you ask God to breathe new hope and new life into you and through you into the world? Because resurrection power lives in you. Here's the second way we can continue to press forward as kingdom the kingdom of God in this world. We need to remember and know the end of the story. Know the end of the story. Here's the, the great thing about the kingdom of God and the gospel story is that God has already let us in on the ending. Right? Yes, we live in between the already and not yet, but we have been given the ending. God's kingdom will triumph. The gates of hell will not prevail. God will push back darkness. Every square inch of earth will be transformed. When Christ comes again, everything will be made new. No more tears. No more darkness. No more brokenness. No more death. No more divorce. No more orphans. No poverty. No hunger. No rape. No war. No loneliness. No mental illness. No racism. No sex trafficking. No pain. Knowing the end of the story makes all the difference for how we live in the middle. In World War II, there was a, a group of Allied POWs in a German prison camp. And somehow these uh, prisoners were able to cobble up some material to make a receiver. It's a true story. They were able to hide it from the detection of the German prison guards. And four to six days before the war ended, they heard over the receiver that the German army had collapsed. They knew the war was over. It was just a matter of time. But for these POW, the W's, the outward circumstances were no better. They still had lice. They were still hungry. Still in prison. Nothing had seemed to change for them circumstantially, but everything had changed. Because they knew the end of the story. And for those four to six days, they lived with great hope and joy and peace because they knew the ending. I heard a pastor tell a story of his son pitching in an all-star baseball game in a 12-year 12, 12 division, And the pastor was one of the coaches. And, and that day, his son's team was dominating. They were up 10 runs, and it was the final inning. And the opposing team was coming up to bat, and his son was going to pitch the last inning. He was going to close the game out. And his son was anxious. 
He didn't want to lose the game. So he started the inning and he threw the first pitch and it was high and outside ball. He threw three more pitches, walked the first batter. He was nervous. But all of a sudden, the dad realized something. There was a rule in this league that a team couldn't score more than eight runs in an inning. So no matter what happened, they already won the game. So he called timeout, went up to the mound and said, son, listen to me. I know you're nervous. I know you're nervous, but we're up 10 runs. And there's a rule that they can't score more than eight runs. So let me tell you, we've already won the game. So let it fly. Have some fun. Right? Pitch. And so the next batter comes up, the sun rears back, and he throws his, and the bat's at as hard as he's ever seen him throw, right down the middle, strike. The next three batters, he strikes them all out. His anxiety turned to confidence when he knew the ending of the story. Church, we know the ending of the story. Christ will come and the kingdom of God will prevail. The world will be completely transformed. So we hope in the midst of pain. We play ball. We live life with freedom. And we might stumble but we get back up again and we continue to press on to follow Jesus. Because we know the victory is sure. The gospel of Christianity is a gospel of a kingdom with unseen power, plotting growth, and a kingdom that will renew the world completely. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would help us to be a people that believe this. As we struggle with it, as we demand from you, as we voice our own unbelief, as we look at a world around and we despair, would you give us hope? Would you give us faithfulness? Would you give us confidence to day in and day out press forward in following you, Jesus, because we know the victory is sure. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.